Don't Get in the Van. I'm Mandy. And I'm Caitlin. And today we are bringing you another installment of our Unsolved and Missing Cases. And today we are focusing on Indigenous women. So Caitlin is going to bring us our first case. Yes, so today I'm going to be talking about um, an unsolved murder case. And that was in 2018, the murder of Rosenda Sophia Strong. She was 31 years old, a mother of four, and a citizen of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. Okay. Did I say that right? I don't know. Okay. Um, so Rosinda was known to be a very strong, out, outgoing um, person and someone who loved to laugh and who people knew by her very unique laugh. Oh. Um, she lived with her sister, Sissy Reyes, and on October 2nd, Sissy lent Rosinda some money and an acquaintance picked her up from their house. The two drove to the short distance over to Legends Casino in Toppenish, Washington in an older model Nissan. Rosinda was wearing blue jeans and her sister's pink Nike sweater. She was last seen that night in the casino by her aunt playing the slot machines. So she hugged and greeted her aunt, seemingly bubbly overall, and at around midnight she was last seen leaving the casino with a man, and it seemed like she was leaving with him voluntarily. Like, it didn't look like, you know, he was, like, forcing her to go or anything like that. So not who she arrived with, a different man. Um, actually, I'm not positive about that, if it was the same person or not, because she didn't go with her aunt. Right. She went with a man, and I I want to say it was actually the same man, but now I'm not, now you're making me question it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so I guess there's a little... The problem is with these this case is I really couldn't find a lot of information. There was, like, eight or nine different articles. They all had the exact same information. Yeah. So, um... And we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. So, um... Regardless, she left... It doesn't She left matter. with a man. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's the same man or a different man. Uh, but her sister said that, um... You know, she cared for her children at times, and so she reached out to Rosinda's friends before turning to the tribal police for help after she didn't come home. Uh, So almost nine months after her disappearance, on July 4th, 2019, two homeless men found human remains in an unplugged freezer. Oh, my God. So the freezer was located in the 64,000 block of U.S. Highway 97 on the Yakima Reservation, and dental records confirmed that the remains were those of Rosinda Strong. An unplugged freezer. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So the police are still actively investigating her disappearance as a homicide, and no arrests have been made to this day. So an interview with her sister, Sissy, um, she said that the lack of progress underscores the widespread problem of murdered and missing indigenous women whose cases remain unsolved. She said people vanish, but it's swept under the rug. Our hopes are that they'll find whoever did this. And the founder of the Facebook page, Missing Murdered Indigenous Women, People, and Families, um, is has been promoting this a lot, too. They've been really trying to, like, put her name out there so they can try to figure out what happened to her because, yeah, we just have no idea. On the Facebook page, they say, uh, we know that, that the FBI know that we're not just going to wait for them. We're going to fight for Rosenda. So authorities do know that Rosenda drove with an acquaintance to the casino, and she was seen by her aunt, like I said, um, there have been multiple theories circulating. One person said your sister took off with someone, some Mexican cartel guy. Another said that she'd gone to drug treatment. Um, another more disturbing rumor turned out to be 
true where people were saying to look for a freezer. What the fuck? And um, Sissy actually said that her and Rosenda's oldest daughter would actually cruise around the back roads and canals and look for a freezer. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's traumatizing. So Sissy's become a voice for Rosenda participating in marches and vigils to spread the word about the, the plight of Rosenda as well as other indigenous women. She said, I miss her every day. She says um, that I guess that's just how I communicate with her is fighting for justice and not giving up. So if you have any information about Rosenda Strong, contact Yakima National Tribe Police at 509-865-2933 or the FBI at tips.fbi.gov. That's sad and Mm -hmm. really messed up. Yeah. And like I said, that this is like literally all of the information that I could find on her. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time finding cases, period, yes. that had any amount of information. Right. I only found one other case right, that had hardly any information about it, which like Mandy said earlier, we're going to go into this a little bit further. Mandy's got another case for us, a missing case. Mm-hmm. And when she gets done, she found a lot of really good information on... Um, just missing and and unsolved murder cases for indigenous women in general and like statistics and stuff on that. So definitely stick around for that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So my case is the case of Mary Johnson, Mary Johnson, aged 40. She just seemed to have vanished. So her description, Mary is five, six, 115 pounds. And she is an enrolled member of the Tulalip tribe. She has black hair, brown eyes, a scar across her nose, and a birthmark on the back of her neck. She also has a sunburst tattoo on her upper right arm. So the FBI said in its missing person flyer, so they had a little flyer about her, that Johnson was last seen walking along Fire Trail Road on the Tulalip Reservation on November 25th, 2020. So I actually am really excited that we both brought you fairly recent cases, but there's also a reason for that too, I believe. So Mm -hmm. we'll get to that. So uh, she was walking down the fire trail road. She had texted a friend at 1.52 PM saying that she was quote, almost to the church while she was walking along, like I said, fire trail road, but she never reached her destination. Uh, Later, her cell phone connected to towers around North Snow. Snohomish County, and she was reported missing December 9th. So remember, this is November 25th. Her husband waited till December 9th to report her missing. What the fuck? Right? That's a problem. Yeah. All right. So it gets complicated. So Johnson, Mary Johnson's sisters, were only made aware of her disappearance after her husband told them that she had been gone longer than usual. And there's a really, I'm going to come back to this again, but I'm going to just touch on when the sisters were young, the state took them from their birth parents because of substance abuse issues. And the girls were, when they were taken away, they were separated. So they were not together at all. And then they were put into the foster care, but each of them suffered abuse in the foster care system. Uh, Johnson's sister, Nona, said that Mary Johnson and herself later actually sued the foster care system, and they both received $300,000 settlements. Damn. I know. I can't believe they got money for that. Yeah. I mean, they should have, but it's unlikely that most people would. So, I'm going to come back to that, but Johnson and her husband, they'd been living with another of her sisters, so obviously they all connected again later, but uh, Jerry Davis in Cedro Woolley, Washington. 
But they abruptly left and moved to Marisville, which is about 40 miles away. And then just one day, he calls Jerry Davis and says, oh, I haven't seen my wife in weeks. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, right? what the hell? So the following sequences of events are based on a CNN interview with the Tulalip Tribal Police Department Detective David Saley. And a local news report in the event Herald is what authorities have pieced together. They base this on cell phone records, conversations with people who saw her. So this is what they say happened. So at the time of Mary's disappearance, she and her husband were not in a good place. Uh, She was staying mostly with friends. She would return to their shared house every few days to pick up her mail, take a shower, and then head out again. On November 24th, a day before she was last seen... Uh, Sally says her estranged husband dropped off, dropped her off with a suitcase at a friend's house on the Tulalip Reservation. She stayed there overnight and then planned the next day to hedge the house of a couple that she knew in Oso, which was about 30 miles away. The friend she was staying with was supposed to give her a ride to a nearby church where someone else would pick her up and then take her to the couple's house in Oso. A second man who had been staying at the same house as Mary wanted a ride too. So things start to go kind of off plan on November 25th uh, when Johnson, Mary Johnson's friend backtracked on the offer to give her and the second man a ride. So she's supposed to get a ride to the church and then they said, sorry, we're not going to take you. So she starts to head to the church on foot around 1.30. And remember there was a text at 1.52 that's like, hey, almost to the church. And then the second man also starts walking away from the house. Okay, so then there's a third man, gets complicated, who was set to pick up Mary from the church and take her to Oso. But he saw her walking with another man, and he's like, I only have room for one person. So then he just decides to leave her. So he's not going to take her to the friend's house either. This this doesn't sound like a very nice friend. Um... Declined to give them both a ride. Anyway, those two didn't stay together. The man who was staying at the house and her, they kind of just went off their separate ways. So I don't really know why the friend who was supposed to take her to the house couldn't have given him a ride to, but whatever. Okay, so the main point is that she never made it to the couple's house in Oso. But before she disappeared, she left the couple a voicemail. And she had desperation in her voice. And she urged them to pick her up. Uh, But... You know, that was just a voicemail. And she also made another call around 2.30. And oh, the woman who picked up the phone said uh, that she told Mary that she was too busy to talk to her. Okay. So nobody's being very helpful, honestly. Yeah. All right. So the police believe that someone may have picked her up at some point because cell phone records indicate that about an hour after her last call, her phone connected to a tower in the Oso area. So that was too great of a distance for her to have walked so quickly. There's no way. Right. Because that was, I don't know what time that was, but it was too quickly mm-hmm. to have been that she could walk there. Um, then the phone went offline for a period of time, and then it connected to a tower in the greater Marysville Tulalip area that night. So kind of back where she started. Okay. Um, it remained in that location until the next morning, and then it eventually was powered off. So the man who was supposed to pick her up from the church reportedly told the police that he hadn't seen or heard from her since the 25th. And the man who had been walking with her said the two went separate ways and he had never seen a sign of her after they went separate ways. So then again on 
December 9th, 2020, her husband decides to report her missing. But she hadn't really, she hadn't really been with him, living with him. But she did check in every couple days. But I don't know why it took him that long to mm-hmm. report her. Was that two weeks yeah. to report her? Because Mary's disappearance was reported weeks after the fact, um, the detective said surveillance footage or precise location information that could offer clues has likely been overwritten. I'm not sure if they actually checked that it was overwritten, but they assumed it was. And because authorities do not know for sure whether Mary disappeared on or off of the reservation, he said it's unclear whether they can leverage federal grand jury subpoena powers or not. So we're going to talk about that too. There's a lot of stuff about being on or not on the reservation. The detective says, we don't know if she was kidnapped, held against her will, or if she has been murdered. It could be argued maybe she just wandered off in the woods and got lost. Maybe she overdosed and passed away somewhere in a remote area, and we don't know where she's at. Maybe she's just hiding. Maybe she's in treatment. There's a lot of maybes. So when you said earlier, maybe they're in treatment, I was like, what? Why is everybody assumed to be in treatment? Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, like, oh, they're missing, so they must have just gone to rehab. Like, did they have a problem beforehand? Like, what do you mean? Like, why are we just assuming that they're just in rehab? Or you overdosed and then you wandered off and did you look? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, what do you mean? And like, oh, okay, have they ever had a drug problem before, but they just overdosed, like, they just happened to, like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so Abigail Echo Hawk, a chief research officer for the Seattle Indian Health Board and an enrolled member of the Pawnee National, the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma, said one of the primary barriers in addressing this crisis is the quote maze of jurisdiction in Indian country. Cases of missing Indigenous women are often mired in bureaucracy, with prosecutors and law enforcement having to establish whether the authority rests with the federal government, the state, or the tribe. The time it takes to determine the jurisdiction of a case can ultimately affect whether those women live or die, she says. Hmm. So it's why so many cases of missing and murdered indigenous women remain unsolved, says the executive director of Sovereign Bodies Institute, and she is a descendant of the Cheyenne tribe. Jurisdictional issues can limit tribal authorities from successfully prosecuting non-native people for crimes committed on tribal lands, except in some cases in the federal government, who typically does have the authority, has often declined to act. Another piece of the problem some advocates see is that indigenous women are often blamed for their own disappearances, resulting in a lack of empathy for victims from authorities and the general public. They're assumed to have been killed, murdered, or disappeared. They're assumed to have run away and to have had substance abuses, to have done something that caused them to go missing or murdered, says Echo Hawk. So those attitudes only perpetuate the problem and make it easier for perpetrators to avoid accountability. That kind of narrative about indigenous people just lends itself to more violence so that when the violence does happen, it's not a disruption of the social fabric the way it would be if if it happened to somebody else because they've already perceived because we are already perceived as not part of the social fabric because we're either dead or disappeared we're less than human we're so far away from some remote reservations we're not even part of the rest of the community so that's what um echo hawk had said so as of december of 2022 mary johnson had been missing for 746 days wow Around the same time, missing and murdered indigenous women, peoples, and family that Caitlin referenced earlier, they hosted more than 50 attendees at the Daybreak Star Indian Cultural Center in Seattle. So family and advocates 
uh, have continued to shine a light on the case, even as it has faded from the headlines. And her sister said, if she had white privilege, she we would have answers. That would have this case would have been solved. Uh, Gabrielle Galanda, an indigenous rights attorney, made a clear and impassioned call to action as well. All right, so the Davis sisters have three main theories of what they think happened to their sister. So they think she could have been trafficked. They, the sisters said a confusing web of police jurisdiction allows criminals to target indigenous women and get away with it. So uh, number two, there could have been an accident. She might've been hit by a car on a blind corner or fallen into like hidden marshy areas. And the sisters would like a thorough cadaver search of fire trail road, which has not happened as of yet. So, but also in the opinion of the three sisters, the most likely answer is that her estranged husband, Eric Johnson kidnapped or murdered her. Hmm. So, uh, they said in my heart and soul, I feel it's a person very close to her. If he actually loved her, he'd be here. It took the husband two weeks to report that she was missing per an FBI report. And according to the sisters, the husband has not been interviewed by the police about his wife's disappearance. They said he hired a lawyer, changed his number and moved to California. He hasn't been interviewed. That's what they said. He declined her personal Jerry's personal invitation to attend this event for his wife. He did not come. Why were they estranged? Do we know? No, I just, they were just they not just getting along, I guess. Weren't just, living together. No. Yeah. Yeah. I just guess they had like a, I don't know. They're probably on their way to divorce or something or who knows. But yeah, it doesn't sound like it was a healthy relationship. Yeah. So another one of her sisters, so Nona, she said that Mary's husband only ever wanted her sister's settlement money and that he took $50,000 of that settlement money and put it into a separate private account. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she said, we went through hell when the state abandoned us in the foster care system. Please don't abandon us again. We want her phone records. We want searches done. Indigenous rights attorney Galanda condemned the lack of progress in the case. It is unjust. It is racist, he said. Roxanne White, who organized the event, encouraged the tribal and family members to speak out. Are there any legislat legislators here? Uh, that they, they asked the room, no, is King Five here? Is K-I-R-O-K-O-M-O? -O? We're here in Seattle. I'm really disappointed. So I think those are all news stations or whatnot. So the FBI is offering a $10,000 reward for information. And the Tulalip tribe is offering an additional $40,000. Wow. So she may not mean much to society. She's just a native, but she means the world to us, says her sister, Jerry. Every life should have the same value, but somehow in America, it does not. So if you do have information, there's lots of places you can contact. Um, but Kayla J. Dunn, 425-339-3449. Uh, she has an email address, a Twitter account. I'll put all that in our notes. Uh, you can also contact the Tula Lip Tribal Police, which is 360 Five nine one eight, and her case number is twenty dash three zero six three. That husband seems kind of shady. 
I think the ex-husband did it. Yeah. I mean, I always think it's, I swear that to God, shady all the, sh- he seems shady as fuck. So shady. I feel like all the cases I've been hearing lately are the husband. Yeah. And I'm almost getting jaded to the point that I'll listen to something. I like Dateline a lot. And, and I listen like, to something. I'm like, the husband. you fucking did it. My mom <laughs> yeah. told me a story the other day and I was like, it was the husband. She's my like, mom, it was. My mom always says that. She's it, like, it's always the husband. It is. And you're, people are like, oh, they're so nice. Blah, blah. And you're like, dude, let's just check that first. All right, so I'm going to give you guys some, just some more facts, and then we're going to talk about all of it and how we feel and go from there. Okay, so indigenous women as a group have been socially, economically, and politically marginalized and have been frequent targets of hatred and violence. There's lots of underlying factors, poverty, homelessness. Um, this is contributed, this contributes to their victimization as do historical factors such as racism, sexism, and imperialism. So indigenous women are between three and three and a half times more likely to be victims of violent crime than other women. And the violence they face is often more severe. There's a lot of indigenous women in Canada. So we could focus everything on Canada, but I have Canada facts and then I have us facts. So we're just going to go from there. So there was a 2014 report by the RCMP, which is the Mounted Police in Canada. Oh, okay. And I was like, who is that? It's the Mounted Police. And they, uh, the report is titled Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women, a National Operational Overview. And they found that more than 1,000 Indigenous women were murdered over a span of 30 years. That's a lot. Yeah. From 2001 to 2015, the homicide rate for indigenous women in Canada was almost six times as high as the homicide rate for other women, representing a 4.82 per 1,000 population versus 0.82 per 1,000 population for non-indigenous women. In Nunavut, Yukon, the Northwest Territories, and in the province of Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, this over-representation of indigenous women among homicide victims was even higher. So the Native Women's Association of Canada, NAAC, has documented 582 cases in the 1960s, with 39% increase after 2000. Though advocacy groups say that many more women have been missing in Canada with the highest number of cases in British Columbia. So the most notable case in Canada is the Highway of Tears, which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. So the term Highway of Tears refers to 430-mile stretch of Highway 16 from Prince George to Prince Rupert, British Columbia, and it's been the site of the murder and disappearance of a number of mainly Indigenous women since 1969. So many people hitchhike along the stretch of highway because they do not own cars and there's no, and there's a giant lack of public transportation. So the Highway of Tears murders have led to initiatives by the British Columbia government to dissuade women from hitchhiking, such as billboards along the highway, warning women of the potential risks. But, I mean, if you're already walking. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're already walking. What are you going to do? You see you see the billboard and you're like, ah, shit, I should turn around. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but, like, come on. Uh, numerous documentaries have focused on the victims associated with this highway, and the Canadian media often refers to this highway and coverage of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people in Canada. All right, so government organizations and Indigenous organizations have different estimates of the number of victims along the highway. Uh, police identified 18 murders and disappearances, 13 of them were teenagers, and other organizations say, no, it's not 18, it's 40. 
A reason for this discrepancy is that for a disappearance or murder to be included in the mounted police report, that crime has to have happened within a mile of Highway 1697 or 5, and their count rejects any cases that take place anywhere else on that route. Okay. Which is odd. Weird, but. yeah. All right, so now we're going to the U.S., Native American women in the U.S. are more than twice as likely to experience violence than any other demographic. One in three indigenous women are sexually assaulted during their life, and 67% of these assaults are perpetrated by non-indigenous people. All right, so the National Crime Information Center reported 5,712 missing indigenous women and girls in, a, in 2016, and that was a study funded by the U.S. Department of Justice. National rates of homicide against American Indian and Alaskan Native women are second to those of their African American counterparts, but higher than those for white women. However, these national averages hid the extremely high rate of murder against American Indian and Alaskan Native women present in some counties consisting primarily of tribal lands. Some counties have rates of murder against American Indian and Alaskan Native women that are over 10 times the national average. Data on the missing and murdered indigenous women in the United States has been very difficult to gather. Uh, the race, citizenship, or ethnicity of Native Americans is often misidentified on death certificates and law enforcement records. Hmm. What? Yeah, what? I know. We'll talk about it. Less than half of incidents of violence against women are reported. And many times when indigenous women and girls go missing or when indigenous murder victims are unidentified, forensic evidence has not been accurately collected or preserved by local law enforcement. Cases have been allowed to go to quickly go cold and crucial evidence has been quote lost or never forwarded on to local law enforcement or to or to the appropriate agency at all. Um, as these cases go unreported, it allows violence and murder to be inaccurately represented in statistical data against indigenous women, but it also allows aggressors to go unpunished. So here's a real great fact. In 1999, the Bureau of Justice Statistic report on American Indians and crime did not provide any information about missing or murdered indigenous women. So at all? Nothing. Nope. So incidents of violence on tribal lands are frequently unprosecuted. Not a shocker here. The Major Crimes Act of 1885 limited the jurisdiction of tribal governments to prosecute violent crimes. These crimes must be prosecuted by federal government. And a statement by the U.S. Government Accountability Office reported that U.S. Attorney offices received 10,000 cases from Indian countries for prosecution between 2005 and 2009, and 77% of these were violent crimes. But they decided to decline to prosecute half, over half, of these violent crimes. So it's like they just pick and choose. Yeah. Uh, the Federal Violence Against Women Act was reauthorized in 2013, which for the first time gave tribes jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute felony domestic violence offenses involving Native American and non-Native offenders on reservations. 26% of natives live on reservations. So there's a whole thing about who has jurisdiction where. So mm -hmm. we can talk about that too. Um, 
Okay, so the group National Indigenous Resource Center is a groundswell of grassroots advocates, family members, and tribal leaders. So you can always check out the National Indigenous Resource Center, and I'm going to put a link to that. Um, they do lots of stuff. So on their website, it was like housing, like how can they help? So I think you can go there and get help for many things or even just become like a volunteer. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so in the U.S. actually declared May 5th, 2018, is a national day of awareness in order to raise concern for the crisis and refocus attention on issues affecting indigenous women. And it hopes to improve relations between federal and tribal governments because I think those are not very good right now. I just have a couple more things. Um, it's the fed it's federal acts that have gone through. So the first one's called Savannah's Act. And this is a bill known as, uh, the bill known as Savannah's Act was initially introduced in Congress in October 2017 by former Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Um, it was later introduced in January 2019 by Senator Lisa Murkowski. The purpose of this act is to increase cooperation and coordination between federal, state, tribal, and local law enforcement agencies. Because this has been a huge barrier in developing an accurate database of what's going on. The bill would also implement training for tribal agencies from the Attorney General, as well as improve tribal access to databases. Um, that would include the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, which sounds like that could be extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. In addition, data collected will be increased so that statistics more accurately represent missing and murdered Indigenous women. So this bill was passed by Congress in September 2020 and signed into law when Donald Trump was president. So it sounds like that was one of the only things he did that was great. Um, <laughs> so the Not Invisible Act. Uh, this is the next one. So the, that was signed October 2020, and that requires the Department of the Interior and Department of Justice to form a joint commission on violent crimes in Native American communities. And the last, uh, not in order, in 2019, the House passed the H.R. 1585, which is the Violence Against Women Reauthorized Act of 2019 by a vote 263 to 158, which increases tribes' prosecution, prosecution much further. But it got to Senate, and it fell flat. Yeah. So that's still something that they could revisit, but, yeah, it didn't get past Senate. So it's been stalled. Anyway, that's kind of all the um, information that I have. I know it was a lot, but we can try and kind of go through some of this stuff. So I've been doing a lot of talking, so I want to hear Caitlin. So, <laughs> Caitlin, what do you think? Well, I just, like, I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit. I touched on it earlier, but, like, part of the problem is I was literally trying to find cases to talk to you guys about, and I couldn't find, like, any information. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I found one other case and I had, what, like a page and a half for you guys on uh, Rosenda and the other case that I found, I had maybe a paragraph and the rest of it was literally just statistics that you just went over. Yep. So it's like, I'm glad that we're pushing all these statistics and like getting this information out there, but can we like get information about the actual fucking cases and the people who are missing and the shit that's going on? Like, yeah, we need somewhere like there's probably a registry somewhere where you can see like all of their names. Oh, I yeah. wasn't able to find it. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, is there even that much information There's about not. it? You know, it's like, that's the, that's the whole problem is like, we're, 
we're pushing these things under the rug. We're acting like these people, you know, oh, they probably went to rehab or they probably had a drug overdose or they just ran away. Like instead of actually trying to get it, gather information and like put information out there about these women. Yeah. Um, because honestly, I have not heard of either of these women. In I have not either. No, not never. And mm -hmm. this one, 2020, I mean, it's so this fairly yeah. recent and yeah. we're like pretty deep into true crime stuff all the time and I've right. never heard of it. And so, I mean, honestly, it is pretty important, I think, to bring, uh, you know, recognition to this that there are a ton of just probably as many or even more indigenous women that are missing or murdered that than the other types of cases that we talk about. Right. Um, and no one knows. Right. And that's a problem. And then also the jurisdiction, like, oh, the tribe you know, that's in charge of this reservation, they don't have any jurisdiction over people that come into their reservation and kill someone or take someone or whatever. Oh, well, you can't do anything about that. Yeah. How does, like, let's take well, that, everyone's I rights like away. the jurisdiction thing is always an issue, like, yeah. no matter what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, well, state police, you know, cover this area of land, but the city, you know what I mean? Like, police, they're not allowed to touch it. And yeah. then, like, oh, but the FBI can come in and just fucking, like, cover the whole thing. It's like, there's always such a weird, like, hazy line with jurisdictions and people, you know, they're obviously a lot better about talking and communicating with each other now than they were, yeah. like, in, like, the 60s and the 70s. But yeah. there's still a communication issue. Mm -hmm. Like, 100%, there's a huge communication issue. Yeah. And... It just seems like there's got to be a better way to do this. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be a better way to handle these types of situations. But they all just always end up getting kind of written off. And how are they misidentified in the system? Like, when it said, like, oh, they're they're misclassified. Like, what are they classified as? Yeah, they're missing or yeah. murdered. Like, yeah. what do you mean? misclassified what exactly. the fuck else could they be put in there as they're putting them in there as a runaway or they're putting them in there as like you know what i mean like right unsure like what are they putting them as if they're missing they're missing exactly you know we're not here to um come up with our own like gut feeling of what we think happened like they're missing so it's pretty cut and dry it's black and white you know what i mean like how hard is it i don't exactly. i'm not i don't understand well even though my case had a little bit more information than yours i still never saw any it was like here's the timeline of events but it didn't say the police checked this the police checked yeah. that usually we're able to say what the police are doing right nothing oh i found nothing about what the police have yeah, done in nine it was like two homeless men found a freezer and that was pretty much it yeah. like i couldn't get any other information about it that's messed up and like the articles that i did find um like i said they were mostly all the same thing and then there was a bunch of other articles about other Rosendas, but they weren't, you know what I mean? They didn't even have anything to do with her. Like, they were totally different. Right. It's, I don't understand. There's just not, I mean, the other, I found one other case um, that, same thing. It was like, like I said, there was maybe a paragraph about her. That was pretty much it. And there really wasn't, like, any information that actually explained, like, anything about her, what happened. Like, I couldn't find any background information on her. Like, I barely was able to tell you that she had kids. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, like there was barely any information in there about it. Agreed. The only thing I found about her past, in my case, was the foster system. But it had to yeah. do with, like, money. 
that they won in a settlement years later. But honestly, I have no idea about anything else. Right. I don't know what the abuse was in the foster care system, what happened. I yeah. feel like with these other cases, we're well, able we to Well, we don't know what happened with her and her husband. Why were they we, estranged? We Why weren't they living together? They aren't giving us any of that information. No. And that seems... And then her family said that they didn't even question the husband. So no. how does that even make sense? Like He changed his number, got an attorney, and moved. And moved. Like, that seems pretty sketch. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he seems like somebody that should be pretty high on the fucking list. I think But so. they're not worried about him. Why? I don't know. And she, like I said before, she stopped in every two or three days, took a shower, got her mail, and she didn't. She doesn't show up for two weeks. And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't give care. A fuck. I don't think he cares at all. No. I yeah. I don't know. If you guys have any cases like this that you know about, even if there's not a lot of information, um, we'd still like to shed light on them and yeah. you know what I mean, like bring them to the surface so that they don't get forgotten about. So if you guys have any. Um, cases in general, but specifically yeah. if you guys have any indigenous women cases that you know of, um, send them our way. Well, I have another thing to say. So in my case, uh, in, in yours, it didn't even say in yours at all or mine, but there was a certain area that my person was in, mm -hmm. right? They, they did have some cell phone records. Right. But they said that because they probably didn't have any video, because, you know, it was probably written over. Right. Um, they didn't have um, any other, like, you know, it, it had been two weeks, so how are they supposed to go from there? Do you know how many people have been missing for much longer and they still are like, we're going to check the reservation, we're going to check fire yeah. trail, yeah, we're, we're going to check... Oh, so we're going to yeah. check literally everywhere because that's what we have to do. We're investigating right. this, right? Mine was in a casino. You know there's cameras right? everywhere. Everywhere. Did they question the man that she came with? No. Was it the same man that she left with? Did they question yeah. that man if it was different? Did they see what kind of vehicle she got into or what time exactly that they left? Which way did they go? Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't give us any of that information. Because you know there's cameras in that parking lot. There's cameras all over the place Everywhere. there. There's, like, you just know that there is. So right. they had to have at least had that much. They had a and car description. they you know found they a freezer with her in it. Why were people mentioning a freezer? Why would people even think that? And then right. it turns out that she's in one. So did they follow up on that? Like, what the fuck's the deal with that? Is that, like, a popular thing going around? You know, like, I like mean, what? Like God. what is exactly the, the reasoning on that? Yeah. They also didn't tell us how long she'd been dead for. So we don't even know if she died the same day or if she'd been, you know what I mean? Like, somebody kidnapped her and she was held for a few days before... Like, they didn't give us any of that information. It's mm -hmm. like, I would like to give, like, I would say on yours, my opinion, I feel pretty strongly about the husband. But in my case, there's really not enough information for me to even have an opinion on what I think happened to her. Because it yeah. would literally just be grasping at straws at this point. 100%. And there's no point in just, like, you know what I mean? Just, like, making right. shit up. And why would they say treatment center for yours at all? Because... I know they never said anything about her having any kind of alcohol or drug addiction or issue at all. So right. it's like, why would they even... That's just, like, the blanket fucking list of things that they come up with. I mean, they... they you literally said mm -hmm. that in our statistics. Like, that's yeah. literally, like, the regular list of things that they come up with. They're like, oh, could have been treatment, could have been drug overdose, could have been runaway. Like, yeah. those are just normal issues that they just, like, throw out there. They're, they're yeah. like, yeah, it could have been this. Like, that's totally what it could have been. What about domestic violence? I mean, why aren't we thinking yeah. about that, guys? Yeah. What if, Does she have an ex-husband? Like, she had children she had and didn't say anything about her being married. So does she have, like, a, you know, an ex-husband? Did she have issues? Like, she went with a different dude. she out dating? Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot of different things that could have happened and I mean in that in your case um talking about the trafficking like that's a hundred percent something that oh yeah could have been an issue I mean mine she was found dead so obviously right. like 
if they did, it didn't last very long. But right. you know what I mean? It's like, and that's another huge issue in this country huge. right now is the sex trafficking and right. like the children trafficking trade. Mm-hmm. Like that shit is crazy. But why did the sisters have to say, okay, we have three theories. We have three theories. So yeah. Should, and they sounded, one the, of them. they sounded like the most plausible, plausible theories. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, we could go on and on forever. Um, there is another podcast that is only focuses on missing and uh, murdered Indigenous women, and it's called Missing and Murdered. So you can look it up. I think it's through the CBC, uh, Can- the Canadian Broadcast. Um, I've actually listened to some CBC podcasts, and I recommend them. Um, I think they're good. But anyway, I would check that out. It's called Murdered and Missing Podcast on the CBC. So I would check that out if you are interested. Um, they, they cover one particular case each season of okay. the podcast. So uh, the newest one, I think, is Finding Cleo. And then there was one before that. So check that out if you're interested. All right. Want to do trivia? All right. So we didn't have any buddy answer this week but that's fine so last week's question was who had two grilled cheese sandwiches a pint of cottage cheese a hominy corn mixture a slice of peach pie chocolate chip ice cream and radishes as a last meal so and the answer to that was steven anderson and I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple questions ago, that is the man who broke into a woman's house, cut her phone line, shot her in the face, and sat down in her kitchen to eat some noodles and fried eggs. So if you thought that his last meal was weird... Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that a fucking weirdo. Noodles and fried eggs. In someone's house that you just in murdered. In someone's house. Okay. All right. So this week's question is, who killed a man in a restaurant and was on the run for three days before... Before they agreed to turn themselves into authorities, however, instead of accepting arrest, they shot the police officer and then attempted suicide, resulting in a self-inflicted lobotomy. Holy fuck! Oh my god! Am I getting better with these questions? These are great. They're so good. They make me. <laughs> laugh. All right, I'm gonna read it one more time because that one's kind of a long one. All right, so who killed a man in a restaurant and was on the run for three days before they agreed to turn themselves into authorities? However, instead of accepting arrest, they shot the police officer and then attempted suicide, resulting in a self-inflicted lobotomy. Man. Okay. Good luck with that one. (laughs) (laughs) At first, I kind of had an idea, and then I was like, what? As it went on. Yeah, it keeps going. (laughs) It keeps going. I was like, oh, yikes. Okay. So, yeah, good luck with that one. Um, Send us your answers. DM them to our Instagram. Mm -hmm. Or you can always email. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you guys are finding this series interesting. We have one more to go. Uh, That will be next week. And thank you so much for listening. As always, remember, don't get in the bands.